Are we accountable for our failures after we have received salvation? Can we overcome our failures by our own willpower? Does a believer ever experience judgment? Where do bad thoughts come from and how do we deal with them? What is the number one problem Christians have? I want to know. I want to welcome each and every one of you to this week's episode of the DOC with myself and Brother Jimmy Cooper, and we are especially glad to do so this week because whether you know it or not, the doctrine of Christ is the most important thing in your life. So it is indeed once again an honor to be with you here, Brother Jimmy, bringing the DOC. Looking forward to it, David. And we have a very special DLC this week. It's called The Bruise Reed and the Smoking Flax. We're going to be drawing heavily from one of the Puritan classics by the same title, The Bruised Reed and the Smoking Flax by Richard Sibbs. And Richard, Richard Sibbs is the exact opposite of what the world would want people to think a Puritan is, uh, Hollywood has characterized and stereotyped the Puritan as someone that's cold and hard and legalistic and mean. And Richard Sibbs was everything but that. And all of none of the Puritan leaders were like that. And um, Richard Sibbs, Thomas Manton, nicknamed him the heavenly dropper because he could just take the word of God and drop it like honey into people's lives. He was known to be a tremendous blessing to the people that were hurting and that were struggling. And that's been all of us at a lot of times. And uh, he was called the heavenly Dr. Sibs. And he was greatly, greatly loved by the people that he ministered to. He was a tremendous intellect. Uh, I have his complete works in seven volumes. Like all of the Puritans, he was a terribly intelligent and deep writer. But yet what he was known for, was his love for the people and his ability to minister the word of God to those that he ministered to. So this book, which is a Puritan classic, it's, uh, you can buy it, you know, you could buy a copy of this book. Uh, and it is a book that it's just a blessing. It's a blessing. And it's so deep. It's one of those books you got to read a little bit at a time and you'll read a little bit and you'll just get lost in thought by some of the things that he says. And we're going to be sharing those things. And there's so many things that uh, we won't get to, obviously. But let's read our text, our text in Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall shew judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry. Neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And as Jesus constantly did when he taught, he referred to the Old Testament and to Old Testament uh, 
motifs and ideas. And this draws upon a very important one, the servant. He was the suffering servant called by his father. And what the Jews struggled with, and I think what we all struggle with a lot of times, is how can a Messiah suffer and reign at the same time? And this is why with the uh, unregenerate Jewish mindset, they rejected Christ because they couldn't get their mind around it. And we all struggle with this. You know, the suffering servant, the spiritual kingdom, the kingdom that is brought about by by suffering under crucifixion and death, the, the kingdom that calls upon those that follow him to take up their cross and to deny themselves. This is totally against what the world wants to think and what all of our carnal minds wants to think and accept. And this concept, we can see it in many places. And in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 10, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. And this, for many of you that are familiar with Jehovah's Witnesses, this is their key scripture. And what's ironic is this key scripture, if we just read it, it shows the certain damnation of anyone that believes their interpretation. But in Isaiah 43, 10, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. The Messiah was presented as the chosen servant that would suffer, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Now, repeatedly, Throughout the Old Testament messianic prophecies, the Messiah would be referred to as I am or I am he, co-eternal, co-equal with the Father. And Jesus insisted, we're going to show you the scriptures, that if you did not believe that he was the I am all over the gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the light of the world. I am the, the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. There's a lot of them all through the gospel of John. And there's the I am he's. And here's one of them. And he says that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed. Now, this I am he is not in any way inferior to anybody. You know, before right. me, I'm the I am he. Before me, there was no God formed. Yeah. So if you delegate Christ to some kind of an inferior God, as I think most of us know, in the New World Translation, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. It's it's not very good for them, and it's, it's certain damnation. I wonder the, what their translation, how their translation reads this scripture. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is pretty straight ahead right here. It is. I mean, it's very straightforward. You can't take this two different ways. You either believe it or you reject it. Very clear. And you see, when we go through stop signs, there's stop signs in the Word of God that if you ignore them and run through them, you're going to hit a brick wall. This is a big one right yeah. here. Yeah. And we are not saved by our intellect, thank God. We're saved by our heart. But there's certain things that the Father insists that we believe. You know, Jesus said that you, you must believe that the Father sent me. And if you don't believe that, you're in, in a lot of trouble. But it says 
and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God form, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. Now we got the I am. We got the I am and the I am he, both in the same passage. Even I, I, even I am the Lord. Beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved and I have shewed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. Now, isn't that ironic that the the passage that the Jehovah Witnesses take, it insists that the Messiah is God, the I am and the I am he. And this is scripture twisting at its most fatal. Uh, okay, but, but hey, just in case somebody doesn't understand, <clears throat> now where is this passage referring to the we believe this is speaking of Jesus instead of Jehovah like the Jehovah's witnesses would would say so how would we how would we show a Jehovah's witness that this is speaking of Jesus we're a great question Jimmy and let's go to John chapter 8 verse 24 and this is something that Jesus makes very plain he makes it so plain that you have to try to miss it and in John chapter 8 and verse 24, and there are many passages of Scripture where Jesus said, I am, I am, I am, many places. And in John chapter 8 and 24, I said, therefore, unto you that ye shall die in your sins, for if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. And this is a knockout punch. Was he quoting that? Yeah, yeah. There are several passages, and this 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 whole concept. There are many passages of the I am, the I am He, and the suffering servant is a huge motif through Isaiah, and this is identifying prophetically the Messiah, and Jesus shows up and says, "I am, I am He," and He asks us to believe. That's all. And yep. you see, believing who Jesus said he was, this is foundational. Mm. And there's things I'm sure we all have wrong and can get wrong, but this is something we can't get wrong. Yeah. If we deny the full deity of Jesus Christ, we're toast. Mm. This is something that, you see, we need to lift Jesus higher. That's what we're all about. It's all about Jesus. Lift him up. You know, whatever he said. That's it. And so many, so many doctrines will denigrate him instead of lifting up. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That's our job. We lift Jesus up so high that we try the best we can with our humble efforts and our mortal words to try to tell people how great Jesus is, how powerful, how wonderful. And just trust him. Believe what he said. If he said, I am he. Yeah. And the thing about this, this text comes with a severe warning that if you don't believe this, you'll die in your sins. Mm. So it's so sad, isn't it, that mm. the very text that the witnesses try to use, this is their foundational text, that it shows the certain damnation of their souls with the way they handle it. It is extremely sad. 
That's just that's just like the enemy right there. Yeah. Just laughing in their face, too. Yeah. <clears throat> and in the scripture, the Messiah and, of course, uh, Jesus, when he washed their feet right before he was arrested, he said, uh, I am here as one that serves. You know, I am here as one that serves. He was a servant. He showed yeah. it in his life. And um, because he was the Messiah, the Christ. And, of course, we are supposed to follow that example, not putting ourselves as lords over God's heritage, as the Apostle Peter said. Yeah. And I love the way Paul put it in Second Corinthians 4 and 5. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Christ's sake. That's the way it ought to be. Yeah. And, and well, that's the way it is. And yeah. we either do this and do it God's way or we do something else. And it's, it, you know, it's clear. It's really, really very clear. Mm. Now, let's try to get a definition and we'll read Brother Sib's definition of what the bruised reed means. Okay. And uh, this is from volume one of his works. And I'm going to read on page 43. And here is how he defines the bruised reed. He said, they are bruised reeds before their conversion and sometimes after. The bruised reed is a man that for the most part is in some misery as those were that came to Christ for help. By misery, is brought to see the sin, is brought to see sin, the cause of it. For whatsoever pretenses sin maketh, yet bruising or breaking is the end of it. And I think that that is, I know that's the way it was with me. I was in prison, strung out on drugs before I finally started to think about my eternal soul. I was bruised. I was bruised terribly. Mm. And sin is a hard taskmaster. The way of the transgressor is hard, the book of Proverbs says. There are people that are so bruised that are leading lifestyles that are killing them. It's destroying their health, destroying their life. Satan won't even give them straw to make their bricks with. Mm. And this is the bruised reed. Yeah. And also, he goes on to say, we can be a bruised reed before we're born again and also after. And we're going to understand the context of bringing forth judgment into victory. And the promise is he won't put it out, you see. And a bruised reed is a reed or a plant that has been hit and broke over, and it would just take the least bit to just break it. Mm. You know, one harsh word could kill many bruised reeds. A, a soft word or a kind word or a harsh word could mean the difference between life and death. For many people, yeah, uh, a word fitly spoken is put forth as a great value yeah. in the book of Proverbs. Now, he goes on to say this. Together, a bruised reed and smoking flax make up the state of a poor, distressed man, such as one as our Savior termeth the poor in spirit. Now, we have just finished our study on the Beatitudes, seven lessons in the series, and we talked about the poor in spirit, the person that comes to the place where they understand they need help. 
and they can't help themselves. And many times, and we're going to talk about these situations, after a person is born again, they become a bruised reed once again. And uh, we're going to look at that and we're going to understand how it's never the desire of Jesus to break or to extinguish He wants to bring life. He wants to breathe life and to bring that flame. And this is what he wants to do. He doesn't want to get rid of anybody. He doesn't want to knock anybody out. He wants to fan that flame and he won't quench it. He's not going to put it out. If it gets put out, it's not going to be him. He wants to bring it up. This is the gentle savior that we have. And um, it's, it is indeed a marvelous thing. Now, Let's look at a text in Galatians chapter 4 and 19, and we're going to thank here. Um, Well, I'm going to read one more thing here, and we'll think about the judgment coming forth into victory. And we're going to see this so clearly, and we're going to see how Jesus uses judgment to bring about victory in our life. We're going to see many clear examples, and we're going to understand the smoke and the fire. Um, But Brother Sib says this, until judgment come to victory, that is until the sanctified frame of grace begun in their hearts, be brought to that perfection that it prevaileth over all opposite corruption. We talked about that in uh, the Beatitudes, hungering, thirsting after righteousness and blessed are the pure in heart, you see. And it's the same thing judgment, bringing forth into victory. And you see, it's just such a marvelous thing. And in Galatians chapter four and verse 19, uh, the apostle Paul puts it like this. And you see, many times when we get to be older Christians and when we've lived the Christian life, you know, for me, gosh, (laughs) more years than I want to admit, a bunch of ever since 1970, You know, we learn a few things after a while, even the dumbest of us, and we learn and grow. And a lot of a lot of stuff, you just it just comes with years. You just have to grow and mature. And I didn't believe everything I believe today back in 1970. And there's struggles throughout every believer's life. And we want to understand that. And in Galatians chapter 419, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. And Paul understood that the forming of Christ in individuals, uh, we all have so many uh, character flaws and so many things that we have to let the new man in Christ within us take form to where we can put on the new and put off the old. And that doesn't happen instantaneously. Forgiveness and cleansing is instantaneous. And we talked about this in the lesson, Pure in Heart. And we talked about the difference between purity and maturity. And now we're talking about maturity. And we're talking about that road we all walk, which is we're going to see we're all smoking fire. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 32. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. 
And this is in the, the chapter concerning the Lord's Supper. And Paul told them, you know, you're doing things here. You're going to be judged for some even to be sick and unto death. And he says, if you'd judge yourselves, the Lord wouldn't have to judge you. And he goes on in the next verse. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Judgment is given by Christ that we will not ultimately be judged by the world, but that judgment, that chastisement he puts upon the believer is for the purpose of bringing forth victory. The judgment brings forth victory, and we understand that in a spiritual way in the metaphors of the smoke, the fire, the burning flax, and um, it's it's a beautiful picture. Um, Now, in Philippians chapter 1, we think about a lot of things, and, and there's not been a believer that has not failed after they've been born again. And when and everybody, every believer has free will. And this is one of the great debates among the Puritans in-house, Baxter and Owen. They disagreed and debated about free will and the extent. And John Wesley and George Whitfield, they uh they disagreed, and you know, boy, they were giants of the faith, but they got so mad at each other, they didn't even talk to each other for a while. Didn't but, Paul and uh, didn't Paul and Barnabas or Paul and somebody had to part ways. Yeah. Because they didn't agree on something as well. <clears throat> yeah. And I'm not talking about some noodle head we need to put out of our life. We on the, uh, the other episode about the peacemaker, we had the little antidote there about how John Owen reconciled two brothers. Yeah. You see, but they're brothers in the faith. They will fall out and this should not happen, but it does. And when Whitfield and Wesley and they disagreed, the way they preached and ministered wasn't a bit different, but they disagreed on the concepts of predestination and free will, and they fell out about it. You know, but when they reconciled, the results were historic. A move of God took place. Uh, there's a book written called Europe Before and After John Wesley. Uh, everyone that uh, heard Whitfield and saw his ministry, they say that he is undoubtedly the most effective minister ever. But anyway, when we fail, we're accountable for our failures. And I want to say this about free will. Then let's read the text in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Being confident of this very thing. That means we need to believe it and trust it, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, this is something every child of God should believe and agree on, that there's something working in us above our free will. You know, I was talking to the guy, one of my clients the other day after after I was done working and we were kind of talking about the same thing. He said, he goes, the God's ability to get us where he wants us is not really 
gonna there there's so many scenarios for him to get us where he wants us even though we're doing going off in this direction and this direction we can't undo his will for us you know once we uh well it's just what this is saying right here it's like he's like okay well We'll we'll just we'll just do this and this and then we'll just get you back over here where you're supposed to be and then we start veering off this way again. He's like, oh, let's come back this way again, you know. He just doesn't give up on us, you know. As long as we're not giving up, I mean, like you said, we we have yeah. the ability to quit, I guess. Sure, we do. And uh, by the way, I, my my guy I work for said that much better than I just did. <laughs> the way I look at it, it's you know. When we step in it and our spiritual life is just totally destroyed, there's something kicks in. It's like when the lights go off and you've got a generator that kicks in when the power goes off. You know, when we step in it and mess it all up, the generator, Philippians 1, 6, begins to kick in. And he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Are we accountable for what we do? You bet we are. Yeah. And we will be held accountable. But is there something in us beyond our own free will at work in us? You bet there is. And if it wasn't for this, and if it wasn't for Christ interceding for us at the right hand of the Father, would all be toast. Would all be toast, no doubt about it. Now, let's look at another verse. Romans chapter 7, 18, and this is another uh, good scripture to tell us something about our free will, you see. And while we use our sanctified wills and we want to surrender in every capacity that we can, our willpower is woefully inadequate. We have to understand that. And when we don't understand that, I think we get so prideful and haughty and we get self-righteous because we, you know, a lot of people, they believe in salvation by grace through faith and sanctification by works. And that's not how it is. And when we go across that line, boy, you get the self-righteous Pharisee mentality. And this is what the Apostle Paul said, Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. His will was to do the good, but he couldn't pull it off. Yeah. And the the end of this, Romans 6, 7, 8. In Romans 6, we see the mechanics of salvation. In Romans 7, we see the failure of self-effort. And in Romans chapter 8, we see the victory by faith in the cross of Christ. And you, you want to read all three of them. You don't want to stop in the middle. And Romans 8 and 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And the only thing that is more powerful than the law of sin and death is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We think our willpower is stronger than the law of sin and death. It is not. It is woefully incapable. And we've got to get this. And people that don't understand, you know, we all, we all need our generator to kick in sometimes, you know, we have to understand this process. Yeah. And um, it, it is really so good to think about it. I want to read something from a fellow of the name of Timothy Merritt. 
And this book, uh, I'll just read you a little bit about Timothy Merritt. Uh, it says the name of Timothy Merritt has almost passed from the member of holiness people, yet in his day he exerted a tremendous influence upon society and the church around him. Born at the outset of the American Revolution to a Connecticut family of Puritan heritage, he was converted in 1792 and entered the ministry four years later. He was one of John Wesley's men that uh, ministered on this side of the ocean. Now, I want to read something he said here that is so profound and so honest. And we have, to, you know, we have to be honest with people and we have to really talk about these things or people will not understand the experience that they're having. And this is what Mr. Merritt said. He said on page 38 of his book, this is an error and should be carefully guarded against. It is no evidence that one is not justified and born of God because he finds much sin remaining. God accepted and pardoned him, and when he was altogether ungodly, will he cast him off now because sin remaineth in him? Observe, we are not now speaking of one who has drawn back from the Lord, who has yielded himself up to the government of his carnal desires and passions, but of him who has a discovery of his sin remaining in him. He has no more sin now, but far less than when God accepted him for Christ's sake. And we've talked also a lot about in the lesson in the pure in heart and others, how to deal with their sinful nature. We, we can go to work on it. And there, there is prayer, there is cleansing, there is the infilling of the Spirit. And this is so important because this is the number one problem we all have. Uh, it's not Satan, it's not the Illuminati, it's our inbred sin. That's all of our number one problem. Yeah. We need to know this and understand it, and we can understand the process of sanctification. And it all evolves around the bruise reed, the smoking flax. And... Let's get some examples. Um, well, let's get Brother Sib's definition of the smoking flax. We understand the bruised reed. People are bruised before they come to Christ, and we can get bruised up afterwards through sin. Now, let's talk about the smoking flax. And on page 50, Brother Sib says this, but grace is not only little but mingled with corruption, whereof it is said that a Christian is said to be smoking flax. Now, what the smoking flax is, you see, now here we are. We are trying to live for Jesus, and we're trying to be a flame for God, but our inward corruption causes us, instead of sometimes to flame, we just blow smoke. And they're all of us at times, we're just blowing smoke, you say. And this is it. It's the bruised reed and the smoking flax. Jesus isn't going to quench it. He wants to bring us from smoke to fire. Now, let's look at some concrete examples of this to help us really understand. Now, let's go to Psalm chapter 31 and verse 22, and we'll understand the smoke and the fire. 
uh, in Psalm chapter 31. I've been reading through Psalms this this month of December. <clears throat> you know, I tell you what. You need to do that at least twice a year, I think. I mean. There's just nothing like the book Psalms. There's really not. I, it's been yeah. a while since I just went through and read the whole thing and, and, uh, some some great stuff in there. Great stuff. Oh, yeah. It's like um, the the sweet dropper used it a lot because yeah. these are just honey love bombs for a soul. Well, I, I keep reading all these little verses. And I'm like, oh, I remember that song. And then I'll get my guitar out and I'll just yeah. figure it out and just sing that 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 little piece of that psalm. You know, it's been great. Now let's read Psalm 31 and 22 and let's see the smoke and let's see the fire. Psalm 31, 22, for I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Have you ever been there? Has, have you ever said, well, I don't think I'm even saved. I think I've messed up so bad. God can never forgive me. I've said that this month, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe November for sure. <laughs> and every child of God does this. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone. And um, people don't need to be letting on like they're some kind of super Christian with a big S on their chest because we all underneath that S on our chest have a horribly fallen nature that we have to constantly use as the means of God so that sin will remain but not reign. Now, let that's the smoke. Now, let's see the fire. Psalm 31, 22, for said my haste, I am cut off before thine eyes. That's the smoke. Nevertheless, thou heardest the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. That's the fire, you see. We can come to the place where we feel we're cut off from God and we're blowing so much smoke. We don't know if the fire's there. But when we will call upon the Lord, he will answer and he'll clear the smoke away and he'll bring the flame. And this is what Christ wants to do. He will not quench he wants to bring up, you see, and when we get to these places and we have these struggles and trials, we have to understand that Jesus wants to bring us back to life, and he will. He'll do it every time, and that's the smoke and the fire. Is that now, like, um, that? Just as you're saying that stuff, I have <clears throat> just this image in my mind of a of a campfire, and it's just smoking a little bit, and then, but then you stoke it, you, you stoke it, and you, or you blow a little oxygen into it, and it, and you fan that flame. Is that kind of what you're talking about here? That's exactly right. And we, we, you see, when the Lord begins to work on us and it's the judgment, judgment brings forth victory. Now let's see all of this in a perfect picture in Jonah, in Jonah chapter two and verse four, he said the same thing that the psalmist Asap said. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. You know, the Lord told Jonah, you go this way. He says, nah, I'm going that way. And he had a little judgment come on him, didn't he? A little. In, uh, in the person of Mr. Whale. And uh, and you see, but what did the judgment do with Jonah? It resulted in victory, didn't it? Yeah. Jonah, when he first disobeyed. Uh, and let's look at this. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. That's the smoking, the smoking flax. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. There's the fire. You see, Jonah 
terribly blew it, you know, and I don't think probably most churches <laughs> would voted, uh, uh, you, you shouldn't even be voting pastors in anyway, but just as an example, if somebody behaved like Jonah and stepped in it like him, they probably wouldn't want to vote him in because they're much more self-righteous than that, you know, but I mean, Jonah, he just totally blew it and yeah. the judgment came forth the victory. And, you know, then I said, I'm cast out of thy sight, smoke, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple, fire you see. And we can see the smoke and the fire in our lives over and over and over again. And we have to know and understand that Jesus is there, not wanting to put it out or break that reader. He doesn't want to throw anyone away. He didn't want to throw Jonah away because Jonah was a mighty prophet, went into the most powerful and wicked cities on earth. He delivered the word of God and they repented. Yeah, I mean, God could have sent somebody else to say the exact same message. Yeah. To to Nineveh, and Nineveh probably still would have repented and did the exact same thing. But he was patient. With, he wanted to use Jonah. Yeah. Because that was the purpose and plan the Lord had for him. And he loved him. And had he been the cruel taskmaster that many would think him to be, boy, Jonah would have been snuffed out, but he wouldn't. He's, uh, he was brought back to fire and he delivered his message. Now let's look at Hebrews chapter 12. You see, and this is how it works in believers. Uh, and, uh, every child of God goes through chastisement. Everybody goes through the smoke and the fire. We're all just smoke and fire. Um, in Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, let's begin in verse 5. And the text says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the love Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges. Why? Because he wants to bring judgment into victory. Now, if the Lord hadn't judged Jonah, uh, he wouldn't say, well, I, I think I'm going to turn around and go the right way. It took judgment to turn Jonah around. And I know that's the way it was in my life. That's the way it is in all of our life. It, 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 just like a child, if we don't correct our children, they don't raise themselves. And it, it, the word is very clear here uh, in verse 8. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. And one thing I look for uh, when somebody really takes a wrong turn in what they're teaching or in a lifestyle problem, if that individual does not come under chastisement, they are more than likely a bastard, not a son. Because the Lord will not allow his children to go into either doctrine or lifestyles that were damn their soul without taking us to the woodshed. Have you ever been to the woodshed, Jimmy? Daily. Now, next I wake time, up there every morning. Now, next time you're there, I want you to look over in the right corner and you'll see my initials carved there. <laughs> <laughs> so as you know, we, we, we spend some time in the woodshed yeah. and we don't need to 
to think we don't. It's the process we all go through. If you're not chastised, you're a bastard. And the judgment brings forth victory until Brother Sib says uh, all those things are driven out. That's the Lord's goal. It's just like we studied in the Beatitudes as we go up, hunger and thirst after righteousness, pure in heart, uh, till we get up to the top of the mountain. Now, something else Brother Sib says here, and uh, he just has some goodies. Now, he says this on page 50, and we'll just do a true or false on this one. He said, the purest actions of the purest men need Christ to perfume them. And so is his office. What now? Isn't that just like the, uh, your righteousness is like filthy rags. Like yeah. the best you can do on your own is, is not good. You know, it's not and, acceptable. And we have to guard against when someone hears us present the gospel and the word of that smells a little smoky. <laughs> You know, smell a little smoky in here because there's nobody that does not have to have the perfume of Christ upon what we do. Or we're going to smell like smoke. We're going to smell like smoke. No doubt about it. Now, James chapter four and verse 10. And just like we read the text in um, first Corinthians, you see, and after a while, when you can get hopefully a little wisdom and a little maturity. And you know how this thing works. We want to repent and humble ourselves to stay out of the woodshed, you see. And uh, James chapter 4 and verse 10. And Are you going the to the woodshed as often as, as you used to when you were my age? No. Good. That's good. good. No. And you know, that's the idea of... <laughs> It's not that you ever had your last trip there, I don't think, but hopefully. Uh, Just not as often. <laughs> you don't keep making the same mistakes. You know, right. when you're corrected with the Lord, um, whether doctrinally or whether in a lifestyle issue, you know, and, and here's the thing. We don't stay there. We don't stay in Romans 7. We go to Romans 8. There is victory over sin. Yeah. There is victory and this is where we want to get victory. And we have to understand that there will never be a time, just like Brother Sibs, of the purest of us, if there is even such a thing, um, that we don't need the perfume of Christ. We have to have that fixed in our mind. And in James 4 and 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And this is what we want to do. We want to humble ourselves. That deals with the smoke and him lifting us up. That will bring the fire. Now, another one of the huge things here we want to talk about is we don't want to believe the lies that the devil tells us about Jesus. Much of the concept that people have about Christ comes from the devil and not from the word of God, because he is the accuser of the brethren. And he will bombard our minds with thoughts like these. But uh, Richard Sibb says this. He says, Satan is not to be believed 
as he represented Christ unto us. Since Christ is thus comfortably set out unto us, let us not believe Satan's representations of him. When we are troubled in conscience for our sins, his manner is then to present him to the afflicted soul as a most severe judge armed with justice against us, but then let us present him to our souls as thus offered to our view by God himself as holding out a scepter of mercy and spreading his arms to receive. He does not want to destroy the bruised reed and the smoking flax. And of course, this is exactly uh, what Satan will say. You're cut off. You're done. Uh, you know, man, he, he's mad at you. You're out of here. He, he wants to give us the opposite picture of what Jesus said about himself of the bruised reed and the smoking flax. And this is the huge thing for all of us. We cannot believe the re- representations that the devil wants to give us of Christ. Cause this is a knockout drop. I yeah. mean, this is a knockout punch right there. Yeah. It absolutely is. Now, let's read a few scriptures and uh, that bear upon the topic here. Let's go to um, John chapter 6 and verse 37. And the text says here, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. When you're a bruised reed, and you're smoking heavy, if you'll come to him, he won't cast you out. He will He will fan that flame. And in John chapter 8 and verse 7 of dealing with the woman, so when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And in verse 11, she said, uh, well, Jesus said, um, well, let's read verse 10. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Let's see the smoke and the fire in old Peter's life. And boy, we can see it here. And I think we could do smoke and fire with everyone in the Bible. But let's do a little smoke and fire with Peter. Boy, he had it. Uh, He was about as bad as Jonah. Uh, Let's look at Matthew chapter 26. And let's look at verse 74. And the text says here, (laughs) you know, uh, and well, we'll read verse 73. He said, and after a while came unto him they who stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thy speech bewrayeth thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And of course, Jesus prophesied to Peter he would do that. And he right forgot. Right after Peter said, I'll it. die with you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm all this and a bag of chips. And it was more like cow chips. And, uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, Jesus who? 
you know, Jesus who? I'll follow you unto the death. Jesus who? You know, but Christ reached out to Peter. And of course, Peter wound up doing a few good things too, like Jonah. You know, he didn't want to throw Jonah away. He didn't want to throw Peter away. He doesn't want to throw you away or me away or anybody away. He wants to fix us. And to fix us, he has to use chastisement in each and every one of our lives. And if that is not the case, we're bastards and not sons. This is the bringing forth the judgment into victory of the bruised reed and smoking flax. And in, uh, in the text, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16 and verse 7, and understanding what had transpired with Peter, this is so precious, uh, he had really, really messed up. And I imagine that Peter just felt terrible. I mean, you know he did. He was just felt about as worthless as a human being could. And in Mark chapter 16 and verse 7, it is so terribly touching. It says this. He said, but go your way. And this was after the resurrection. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter. Don't forget to tell Peter. Peter don't, you know, Peter needs a little extra help here to get the fire up, you know, and Peter repented. So now doesn't want to, don't want to put out, extinguish that smoke and flax. We're going to get the bellows out and bring it up. Yeah. Go tell the disciples and Peter, make sure Peter knows that I don't want to blow his flame out. He's got some stuff to do. Uh, Make sure he knows he's included here. Isn't that great? Yeah, and also I've I've heard people comment uh, commentate on uh, John twenty or twenty one, whatever the last chapter is, <clears throat> where um, Jesus asked Peter three times, "Do you love me?" And and I've heard people commentate that 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 could have been symbolic of the three times that he denied him. So he gave him those three opportunities <laughs> to uh, undeny. I bet it would be impossible for Peter not to thought about that. When Christ was saying it, he would have had to have thought about that. Yeah. And, uh, I kind of bet that was the case. Now, let's talk about the smoke of evil thoughts. Um, let's read... Um, Psalm 73 and verse 22. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Like a beast. This is the man of God writing the Psalms. I was like a beast. My thoughts were so foolish. Like a beast before thee. Now, we'll read Richard Sibb's comment here. And uh, he said, nothing more abaseth the spirits of holy men that desire to delight in God after they have escaped the common defilements of the world than these unclean issues of spirit as being most contrary to God, who is a pure spirit. 
but the very irksomeness of them yields matter of comfort against them. They force the soul to all spiritual exercises, to watchfulness and a more near walking with God, and to raise itself to thoughts of a higher nature, which the truth of God works of God, communion of saints, the mystery of godliness, the consideration of the terror of the Lord, of the excellency of the state of a Christian, and conversation suitable to abundantly minister. They discover to us a necessity of daily purging and pardoning grace and of seeking to be found in Christ and so bring the best often upon their knees. And this is something that we all struggle with thoughts and we're going to get a little more clear picture i think of thoughts that just satan puts in there that they don't come uh from within our mind or our desires i was able to pray with a brother this week that something had happened about 30 years ago in his life and he was having, uh, and I think this brother is older than I am, and he began having overwhelming thoughts and compulsions of homosexuality. And uh, this man is severely disabled. But I was able to pray with the brother, and the brother fanned the flames. And the, this is nothing he desired. Right. It's nothing he wanted. It was something from way back in the past. But yet Satan had an all-out onslaught in his mind with this and this happens to us all yeah this happens to us all when we and we experience these thoughts that are so contrary to anything we would want that these thoughts race and can just seemingly be uncontrollable and let's read the other the rest of this in psalm seventy three twenty two. i was like a beast before you now that's the smoke. Let's look at verse 28 and here's the fire. He said, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I might, that I may declare all of his works. There's the fire. And you see, when we have these experiences, we have to understand that the Savior will not quench us. He will lift us up, that we have to trust. We have to understand that there's something working within us greater than our free will. And the Lord does not want to throw us away. We are having a common experience of all believers. And this is what Satan wants us to think. Well, nobody else has ever thought a thought like that before. What is wrong with you? You know, he'll give us the thought and uh, then he'll try to condemn us for having it. Now, We'll read something else. Brother Sib said here on page 63, and this is so good. Uh, he says this. Some again are haunted with hideous representations to their fantasies and with vile and unworthy thoughts of God, of Christ, of the word, which as busy flies disquiet and molest their peace. These are cast in like wildfire by Satan and may be discerned by the strangeness, strength, and violence. A pious soul is no more guilty of them than Benjamin of Joseph's cup put into his sack. And, and this is true. 
and he says, and to it says, uh, let this be one to complain unto Christ against them and to fly under the wings of his protection and to desire him to take our part against his enemy. And this is where we do spiritual warfare and we can go before the throne and have Christ take our part to put this down. We don't have to sit by and be a punching bag. There are things that we can do to fight back. You know, you know, this ain't this ain't nothing I want. You know, you're a liar. You know, you're just a foul dog. And we go before the throne and we ask Jesus to take our part. And we we have to confess, Lord, we, we can't do this, but you can. Uh, take care of that old guy. He says, shall every sin and blasphemy of man be forgiven and not these blasphemous thoughts, which have the devil for their father, when Christ himself was therefore molested in this kind, that he might succor all poor souls in like case. And we know the book of Hebrews tells us he was in all points tempted like as we are. He understands. He didn't fail like we do. But he understands, right. and he doesn't want to put us out. He wants to lift us up. And don't believe the lies of, dev- of the devil that presents Christ as somebody that wants to put our lights out. Let's read a, a, a couple more scriptures here that apply. Let's go to the book of James. And in the book of James, in chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, and we know the text, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, that own fallen nature we have, and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. We have to always be very mindful of 1 John 1 and 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 2 and 1, my little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, another real important thing in our terminology we would call it closing the doors. This is how they talked about it in the early 1600s. Uh, Brother Sib says this. He says, But when Satan cometh to us, he findeth something of his own in us. And when that's the case, we really get a thumping. When Satan comes to us and we have an affinity, not just a weakness, but something we have compromised, then we get our head beat in. This is what we would call closing the door. Mm. We have to repent. We have to pray for cleansing of iniquity. We have to be just like in the lesson on the pure in heart. We have to do everything we can not to let any stone be unturned. That would be something underneath that where Satan would find a place of affinity with us. But when Satan cometh to us, he findeth something of his own in us, which holdeth correspondency and hath intelligence with him. (laughs) You see, we don't want anything in us that's wanting the same thing he's trying to get us to do. 
because we know how that's going to end up. So we've got to guard our hearts, you see. Uh, There is the same enmity in our nature to God and goodness in some degree that is in Satan himself, whereupon him's temptations fastened for the most part upon some taint upon us. You see, and the reason why every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, you see, and it's not we don't want to condemn ourselves for being tempted, but we have to make sure the doors are closed or there'll be a, a correspondence, as Brother Sib says, between us and the devil. He'll find that affinity and boy, then he can really boom, 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 knock yep. knots on her head. So yep. we. We, we shut the doors. This would be our terminology, shutting those doors. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Oh, yeah. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We have victory. We are not defenseless. We have victory in the cross. The law, the spirit of life in Christ will set us free from the law, of the sin of death. When, while sin doth remain, it will not reign. It will not reign. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, the text says here, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee for you. Uh, that I, is. I hear very, a lot of people leave that first part out when they quote that scripture. Yeah, they do. They just say, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. They leave out that submit yourself part. <laughs> yeah, and that totally ruins it. You know, if you leave that out, um, it totally ruins it. And there are so many things uh, that he says are so profound and right. Uh, something else here, very important. On uh, He says this on page 67. Now, when you've got all smoky and the Lord is taking the bellows and getting our, our engine flame back up. He says this feeling and freeness of spirit. And you know how many times people have said, well, I prayed for forgiveness, but I'm not free. You know, I don't feel free. Uh, I don't have peace. And this is so good. Feeling and freeness of spirit is oft reserved until duty be discharged. Reward followeth work. This is how the word of God puts it. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. Mm-hmm. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts will be established. Do you think Jonah felt worthy to go preach to Nineveh after being upchucked up on the beach there? Probably not. Probably not. And I doubt if Peter was on top of the world either 
that's why the Lord had to prompt him. And, you know, this is what the devil say. Well, you ain't fit to serve God. You, you know, you, you can't do anything. I've had that thought many times. Yeah. And our freeness, uh, just like Brother Sib said, our freeness comes after work. We all know the things the Lord has given us to do. And the devil, if he can't get us on anything else, he says, well, you, you don't do your duty for the Lord. Look at you. You got to wait. You know, you probably ought to wait, repent for a year, you know, and this and that. But uh, we're not going to get free. And our thoughts are not going to be right until we get back to work. One more thing we want to really talk about here that's very important. And this would be the question, how do I know? And let's read the scripture in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19. Excuse me, Galatians 5 and 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Now, how do we know if we are justifying our wrong behavior or if we are having an honest struggle against sin? There's a real line here. And many people will use the smoke and the fire to justify staying in the smoke. Now, and that can be very deadly. Now, we're going to read some checks here. First uh, Thessalonians 5.19 says to quench not the spirit. Now, let's just have a few more real clear thoughts here from the, the sweet dropper that we all need to think about. Now, on page 73, he said this. Such as take a hope of their own. And this is how we know. Uh, it, the heading of this is reproof of such as sin against this merciful disposition of Christ, of quenching the spirit. In other words, when we begin, when Christ begins to bring judgment and we quench the Holy Spirit, this can be turn out very badly. He says, such as take up a hope of their own, that Christ will suffer them to walk in the ways to hell and yet bring them to heaven. <laughs> now, there's so many people. Now, boy, isn't this so many that they really think they can walk in the ways of hell and still go to heaven. I mean, the, the greasy grace is the most popular message in America today. I hear people now, misquote Paul, too, on that, uh, oh, yeah. where he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable for me or something. They say, see, all things are lawful. Just, you know, I've heard, I've heard plenty of people use that one. He says this, such must know that the lamb can be angry. And they that will not come under his scepter of mercy shall be crushed to pieces. That scepter of mercy is held out. But if you don't grab it, you're going to be crushed to pieces. Though he will graciously tender and maintain the least spark of true grace, yet where he findeth not the spark of grace, but opposition to his spirit striving with them, his wrath 
once kindled shall burn to hell. There is no juster provocation than when kindness is churlishly refused. The loving Savior doesn't want to get rid of us. He wants to get that fire back up. But when the scepter of mercy is extended to you, you better take it. You better take it. And you don't want to play games. You do not want to play games. Uh, just a couple more here, because uh, these are so, so important. Uh, he says this. He says, sometimes victory is suspended because Achan is not found out. And there are many that live double lives. They are having affairs, you name it. And uh, don't be fooled that you can live in the ways of hell and uh, go to heaven. And uh, one more. He says this on page 69. He says this. There must be a sincere and general bent to do the best things. Now, this is the in the Old Testament and the New. This is the requirement for fulfilling the covenant. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And this has to be there. There must be a sincere and general bent to do the best things, though for for a sudden a godly man be drawn or driven aside in some particulars. Yet by reason of that interest, the spirit of Christ hath in him. And because his aims are right for the main, he will either recover of himself or yield to the counsel of others. People can get off on a wrong track, but through the judgment and the chastisement of God and the counsel for others, the Lord will bring them back. He doesn't want to get rid of anybody, but we, we have to, um, we have to have this balance and we have to understand that there's a big price for rejecting that scepter of mercy, that God isn't justifying sinful lifestyles. He is giving compassion to the humanness in all of us because he understands, because he became flesh. We're going to read one more scripture, and we're going to close. And in Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning in verse 11, the prophet said this, and this is something good. He said, it's all good, and then He said, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Thank you for watching this episode of The Doctrine of Christ. We pray that you have been both blessed and challenged by this teaching. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Hit the notification bell so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Facebook. And until next time, may the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be with you all.